And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition, the first show of 2021. It feels like we've been gone for far too long, but... We're happy to be back. This is what's coming up. Just the two of us, Chelsea, Thrash Reading, 5-0 in the only game of the weekend. Anyone fancy a holiday to Dubai, maybe? Hmm, a few naughty trips have caught everyone's eye this week. And uh, you toss her. <laughs> Too rude? Uh, maybe. We also heard that there might be a coin toss to decide the second and third round of the Women's FA Cup after lockdown forced the suspension of the non-elite game. And we're also going to be joined by Spurs new manager, Rahan Skinner, and hearing from WSL and Lioness legend Joe Potter, who recently announced her retirement from the game. I'm Kate Borsay. Welcome along to this first podcast of the new year. Linz is away this week, in case you wondered why it was a bit quiet. Our request to the FA to postpone the podcast has been denied Uh, but don't worry we'll be fulfilling a full podcast fixture list with our fantastic guests uh, who've been brought into our bubble our covid safe bubble to save the day i'm delighted to say that we're joined by jen o'neill from she kicks hi jen hello and katie wyatt from the athletic hi katie hi I would say a happy new year to both of you, but I've been told off and told it's too late to say this. Happy new year. But I trust both of you had. Yes, that's right. It's the third lockdown. And I trust that both of you are well and staying sane. Katie, uh, are you in Bradford at the moment? I am, yeah. Which I don't know about the staying sane part, but yeah, I'm I'm here and I'm alive. I don't think any of us know about the staying sane part, do we? Jen O'Neill? Yes, uh, I'm Are you I'm alive and well? I think so, last time I checked. I can imagine you, Jen, having a large cocktail bar in your house, and that's what's seeing you through. I don't know why I think that. <laughs> that's such a good idea. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm offering it out to you there. Well, we're going to crack on with the only game of the weekend. Uh, only one place to start. That's because it is the only place to start at the Majeski, uh, where Reading took on Chelsea. Kirby in behind, the flag stays down, a chance for the opening goal, no mistake. Chelsea have taken the lead, 15 minutes on the clock, and Fran Kirby celebrates. Mitchell gives it away to Kirby, again bearing down on goal for a second, this time no mistake, and Chelsea have doubled their advantage after 22 minutes, and this is turning into the Fran Kirby show. Kirk. Keeps it in, and Kirby's there, and that is the hat-trick. The flag stays down, and Chelsea have scored a third, and Kirby has a first-half hat-trick. Corner is floated in towards Kirby again. Can you believe it? That's another goal, and it is Fran Kirby with her fourth. This is a chance for G, and this is a goal for G, and Chelsea have a fifth. 
Well, if we needed livening up, this one might have done it. Chelsea kept the chase on Manchester United at the top of the WSL table with a dominant 5-0 win over Reading. Frank Kirby scored a perfect hat-trick in the first half before grabbing a fourth in the second half. Jisoo Young brought the goals to a close with a fifth just before the end of the game. Chelsea extend their unbeaten run to 30 games. Jen, a great performance again from Frank Kirby. And this was a bit of light in the dark, wasn't it, this game? Yeah, just after the, the days that had led up to it, it was refreshing just to, to watch some football and to revel in some football. And Frank Kirby was sensational. I just love the way that her and Sam Kerr are, are linking together. Some people, I think, might have suggested that Sam Kerr should have been a little bit more selfish, but that she set up a couple of uh, Fran's goals was a nice return for Fran doing her a favour in front of goal in previous games. I thought Reading, you know, in the first 10 minutes, it set up quite nicely and, you know, moving the ball slickly through midfield. And But they have, they just really don't have anything up front. And then the direct play from Chelsea, because of the sort of fairly high line that the Reading defence were keeping, was exploited. You don't expect Chelsea to sort of play that route one football almost, but it was really effective. And as you say, Fran Kirby's finishing was outstanding and it's just great to see her back and enjoying football. If you're a neutral, then, I mean, there's there's not really anything better to see in, in the women's game in England than a, a Fran Kirby on fire. Yes, uh, Reading perhaps um, didn't quite come back with as much verve as I might expect them to after a few weeks break. But there you go, Chelsea were on the assault. I think the main problem really with Chelsea is um, fixture congestion, isn't it, Katie? They were hit by a substantial outbreak of COVID-19 shortly before Christmas. The majority of the squad either testing positive or in isolation sort of mid to late December that happened. So they've had to postpone games as well. And they've got the Champions League to think about too. Yeah, definitely. And I think that Chelsea are the biggest victims of the league congestion that we are seeing due to COVID. And we're not just seeing it in the women's game, but in the men's game as well, that games having to be postponed, rescheduled, rearranged, crammed into shorter windows because of where the pandemic has left us. And I think you saw that with the way that the Chelsea players were reacting to a lot of the news of postponements over the weekend over Twitter and being quite tongue-in-cheek about it, that it has left them in particular with a really tricky run and you've got to remember that they're competing in Europe as well but you do feel that it's almost in a way as cruel as it sounds fortunate that it's happened for Chelsea because they do have one of the deeper and stronger squads in the WSL whereas if it had happened to a Birmingham for instance who are struggling to field a full bench or even Arsenal who we've seen in recent years have really been hampered by injuries and even a club of their size and stature have been unable often to field a full bench and to name a full bench um, it's almost lucky in a way that that it's happening to Chelsea but you're kind of thinking that if they're hit this badly a club with the quality and the depth that they've got then it's going to really spell some problems for other clubs if they find themselves in the same position. Yeah all eyes on that really that um, situation with um, squad numbers and depth and just whether that COVID-19 outbreak which has affected so many clubs so many players um, will be contained from this point in. I'm going to wrap it up there then for the action on the pitch at the weekend because we've got no choice that was the only game. The main talking point of the week is it has been called a dark week for women's football hasn't it? There's been plenty of very strong articles Katie yours amongst them um, about the four matches um, that were called off because of COVID and that's just WS 
WSL matches last weekend, by the way, and there have been further postponements too uh, across the League Cup. Two of the postponements came after it was revealed that Manchester City and Arsenal players had taken what were called business trips to Dubai with four City players and one Arsenal player testing positive for COVID-19. Manchester City sanctioned the trips to the UAE for the four senior players. The three Arsenal players had all travelled to Dubai without the club's permission, obviously one of them returning uh, back and then testing positive for COVID-19. Arsenal said that they were happy with the situation though, or satisfied might be a better word, because they were given proof that the trips were for their players' uh, commercial opportunities, commercial reasons behind the trips. So that is City and Arsenal. Um, Let me run through what else happened before we talk about this in depth. Everton's game against Manchester United was postponed due to Everton not being able to field a team because of recent COVID-19 cases and injuries. Everton said that five of the members of the squad had contracted coronavirus between Christmas and New Year but they still didn't basically have, with injuries, uh, enough of a squad to play. Uh, From Manchester United, well, they weren't necessarily affected by positive tests but Casey Stoney has a positive apologised for a poor error of judgment after uh, some of her team uh, travelled to Dubai. She let them do so. She's since said a uh, since said sorry for that. Um, Bristol City, Brighton and Hove Albion was also postponed at the weekend after two positive tests in the Brighton camp, seven players self-isolating as a result. So all of that in contrast uh, to Birmingham and perhaps double standards here. We'll have to talk about this in detail, but Birmingham had to withdraw, so not postpone, couldn't do that. They had to withdraw from their fixture against Spurs because of a number of injuries in the squad. Carla Ward, the manager, said she only had 10 fit players. They requested to postpone it, but uh, that request was denied by the FA, so now the outcome of the game will be decided by an independent tribunal. Well, that pretty much sums up what's happened over the week, if that wasn't too long a run-in. Let's talk about players going to Dubai, first of all. Katie, your article uh, in in The Athletic was incredibly emotive. You sort of weighed that against um, a news report that you'd seen on the BBC from a hospital in London with accounts from their nursing and doctor staff there, um, which was a nice way to frame it. Do we think that the players may have decided that going to Dubai was not a great idea because they weren't seeing it through that lens. They weren't putting two and two together. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's very hard to know what they were thinking without speaking to them. I think that a lot of footballers faced very difficult decisions over the past couple of weeks because I think when you have a winter break that provides generally in a season opportunity for players to go home and spend Christmas with their families and then all of a sudden you have a pandemic where they can't do that, you've got decisions to make of. Do we allow players first and foremost to go abroad to see their families, which is what Everton did and is what Manchester United did, despite the risk? Do you? How can you possibly weigh players' mental health against their physical health and other people's physical health? So that's a, a dilemma in itself. But then you've also got an arm where you're asking players to, and clubs to act responsibly and and decide you know if players can go on holiday is a very difficult thing to defend because I've been quite surprised by how limp some of the responses from the clubs have been that there's been a sort of feeling of oh it was fine because they were in this tier or the rules said xyz or it wasn't going against government advice and everything and I think it's been very surprising the number of people in the women's game that have almost defended it or tried to justify it or downplay it on those terms because it ultimately doesn't matter whether it was legal or 
it wasn't recommended it was it was very ill-advised and it, you don't need a great deal of common sense to sort of look at that and think that going to Dubai wasn't a very good judgment to make um so I think it's it's very interesting to see the response from fans of the game and followers of the game that they have felt really let down and betrayed and surprised by just how bad an error of judgment this is and then vast majority of clubs Man United being the exception almost downplaying that or referring back to the rules when really you need them to say I think to kind of win the fans back a little bit um, that yes it was legal but a very gross error of judgment on our part to allow them to do that. Jen we talk about an error of judgment and that um, you know players should have perhaps known better but actually should they are they you know we're all fairly well I'm in my 40s Jen you're at this stage of life as well, Katie, you're you're um, a little bit younger. You know, we're we're all journalists, and we're all perhaps tuned into the news lines. We'll be reading all the reports, but whether you like it or not, the way the game is now, you know, players do exist in a bit of a bubble. Um, and if you've got one player saying, "I'm going to go go to Dubai," and my club said that's okay, well, you might think as a player, well, if she's allowed to go, then surely it's okay for me to go. And perhaps that this that this has been a bit of a witch hunt. That actually we can't expect young players to. Make Make the right call. I'm not sure that it's you can excuse it on the basis of age, um, or particularly maybe being in a bubble. And and I definitely don't think that my opinion is that important on this, particularly. But you're asking, so I'll say that I think that we are all, and I mean all of society, in a such a weird situation where we're desperate to call people out on stuff it's this it's heightened outrage about things because we don't have much control over anything else and if you look at the deed which is to go away some of those players were sanctioned by their clubs to go away somewhere in the UK travel corridor where I I know people who um, locally who were considering going to Dubai at the same time on holiday if you look at that at the time that they went and you but now consider that we're judging it a week, two weeks on, in a national lockdown, in a, in a much more severe situation. We have to acknowledge that. I, I think we have to realise that, that the perspective of that, that we have the benefit of, of where we are now. Now, I'm not saying it was a good decision to go, and I think most, including the clubs, realise it was a bad decision. And perhaps the clubs should come out and say that, as Casey did. But I just do think that it's been inflated, you know, this this moral outrage. And I find the concept of people feeling let down a little bit weird because they, they're footballers, they're not, they're not our friends, you know, they couldn't see their family. Maybe they decided going away in a bubble rather than going home where they could have you know, picked up COVID, which people have done, uh, making trips to, to see loved ones and family. It's such a difficult um, thing mm. to, to navigate. And, and so judging doesn't really help. Although we have to admit now it has caused an absolute chaos in the in the fixtures. Could we have seen that happening? Maybe some people could, but I don't think that we should be so quick to you know, to be so vitriolic towards individuals over that. Yeah. So your argument is this cancel culture nature of the whole thing, right? This this sort of outrage. Everyone's everyone wants an outlet for outrage and that a lot of these players um have been on the receiving end of that yeah are we going to judge how somebody gets COVID everybody now if you know somebody who's got COVID are you going to say you got that because you did that it's you know it's it's a dangerous sort of situation we're in and where did this be kind go to people make 
bad decisions. This has been a, a, a selection of bad decisions. People need to own it and move on from it, hopefully. Yeah, but I mean, I don't think we can not... I mean, I agree that there's a balance between the kind of criticism that you make and it's very difficult to maybe give some of that criticism when, as Jen was saying, the rules are so markedly different from how they were a few months ago. But I think it is just a great feeling of common sense or it feels like it and it just feels like to put it on social media when fans haven't seen their families when other WSL players didn't go home to see their families when their teammates didn't go home when there are other players that that couldn't can't even play because they're classed as non-elite and key workers at other clubs that are kind of putting their lives on the line and don't have the outlet of football anymore there are loads of ways that it is misjudged and that somebody along the line somewhere whether it's the players themselves or the people at the club should have said something so yes I agree that the context is very different from how it was two or three months ago or whenever those trips happened but I think that the outrage to a large extent is justified I think the issue that some people have pointed out is maybe from a feminist perspective are you really wrongly expecting your female footballers to be more of a role model than male ones but I think that you have equally seen people like um, Salah at Liverpool called out or the big issue at Celtic now when they've contravened COVID rules or done something very ill-advised. Yeah. I think Spurs and West reason, Ham too. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. reason why this seems so exaggerated is maybe because it's the first time that we've had this kind of schism or this level of uproar in the women's football community. But I certainly don't think it's massively out of keeping from um, maybe where we've seen even like the Rita Ora situation, for example, celebrities that have broken COVID rules or done ill-advised things elsewhere I think that there is rightfully a bit of astonishment that somebody at the club or the players themselves maybe didn't think twice about doing this mm. well some of those players haven't actually broken COVID rules that's a thing so it's none of them have broken and, COVID uh, rules have they really all yeah. of them were permitted to travel um, some showed evidence that it was for commercial reasons that they were going so whether it was business travel or whether it was just that it wasn't recommended to travel but they were able to travel they weren't actually breaking any rules hence no one's been fined or anything about it so we do need to caveat it with that Jen I, I mean this this is an interesting perspective from Jenny Flaherty who's spoken out and said um, that the trips reflected an arrogance that she said goes hand in hand with increased wages and professionalism in the game that's a very very strong line it is I can see where Jilly's coming from she's sort of been through the journey of the women's game and its professionalization and um, she has a, a very um, strong social conscience so I think she, yeah I can see where she's coming from I think it's without knowing each individual um, story behind making a decision to go away like this, then it's difficult to judge. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, not excusing people blanketing it and, you know, almost um, flaunting it on social media. There's error of judgment there. But it is it is a fact that, you know, we have people calling for um, greater uh, recognition of the women's players and game in terms of financial rewards. Um, you know, we hold these players up as as the professional athletes that they are. So they, they are under a lot of pressure. They've actually behaved very well. You you would you can tell by the, the way that the game's carried on. You know, they've been in their bubbles, they've had to adhere to protocols over several months. So to want to have a bit of a, a break is understandable. But I, I'm I'm from Jilly's camp if you you get me that I've seen the game develop and you should be grateful for where you've got to. But at the same time I 
I can understand why they would want to yeah to spend their money and to live that life you know if you, if you, if you're that good at something you get rewarded for it why should women's footballers be any different from a pop star or a male player or anybody who's who's achieved in their area of um of their career do you think we'd be talking about it as much if if they'd gone away but none of them would come back and had a positive result no no Jen, let's talk about the fact that Birmingham um, will feel like they've been treated unfairly here. Um, they've had to withdraw from their game, so the outcome's going to be decided by an independent tribunal. Um, but uh, Carla Ward's basically said it would have been irresponsible of her to field a team. She only had 10 fit players. We know that with all sides, it's been difficult to draw in academy players um, at some of the sides because they're classed as non-elite and so won't be tested. With some academies like at Arsenal, it's classed as an educational setting. So the fact that schools are closed impacts that. So it's not as simple as saying just bring in academy players. That that doesn't always work. How do you feel about what's happened to Birmingham amongst all this? Well, I, I hope that the tribunal actually you know, uses some... Um, sense about this this is the problem though isn't it that regulations are put in place at the start of the season and you could argue that you know they're they're not fit for purpose in a in a changing landscape of yeah pressures and we'll get onto this with the FA Cup as well that I, I kind of feel that people should have maybe been a bit more pessimistic. It's easy for me to be pessimistic. It's my natural state. <laughs> but people should have been, should have envisaged things, you know, hitting the fan um, at the start of the season and, and factored in these things. So, yeah, I, to, to get to the short answer is, yes, I do feel for Birmingham, but, you know, the regulations are there. It, and Carla always makes the right decision by her players, and, and I, I think most people are a supporter in that, but... The FA also have a rule book that they have to stick to and it applies to everybody. OK, well, we'll round up the COVID postponement chat right there. Up next, we're going to be speaking to a WSL manager and one of the newer ones. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash offside. All right, well, let's now speak to Rianne Skinner, head coach of Tottenham Hotspur Women's. Not been in the job long, but let's find out how she's been getting on. Rianne, congratulations on the Spurs job. You've been there a few months now. You've had a lot to navigate so far. Just tell us how you've been getting along. Yeah, I suppose you could say that. I think, um, obviously, coming out of the international environment into where you actually get to play games every week has definitely um, been a benefit for sure but obviously with everything that's going on in and around the country it's definitely been a time for a bit of unsettled you know lots of changes um a lot of different sort of guidance that you you're trying to follow so sure it's it's been uh, busy but but really enjoyable you've spent many years working in the game um what are the important points for you to bring into the club in terms of cultural playing style sort of what are some of the things that you're implementing specifically I mean, I think for me, the, the team was underperforming based on the personnel that we have here. You know, there's a lot of good players at Tottenham and um, and I've worked with a lot of them in the past, so I know what they're capable of. Um, and I think the biggest thing was 
to try and get a lot more belief on the ball, um, quality in what they were doing, you know, paying attention to the detail in possession that's going to make them more effective in, in that context. And with that, needed to be more confidence, a little bit more freedom to, to make some decisions and to help the team to progress um, in a way that's going to help us to exploit space and be a little bit more threatening in and around goal, to be honest. Um, so that was certainly the first, one of the first uh, routes that I went down. Um, and the second part of it that it really is to be really hard to beat and hard to break down. And, you know, we've not had a clean sheet and those things matter. You know, they keep you in the game for longer and we've got to be a little bit more diligent and, and harder to break down so that we're putting ourselves in the best possible position to build a platform really to work from. And obviously then we, we, the in-possession stuff comes into play a little bit more. We can't do that without all. So ultimately those areas really have been sort of a real key um, point to get yeah. across and to to build into everything we do on a day to day basis. Yeah, um, it it must have been quite unusual or just um, a different a different thing to come across really to come into a club where um, both managers there had 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 been there for such a long time. They they they, they must have had such an imprint. Well, I know they did had had such an imprint on the club. Was that kind of tough for you to sort of come into that because Juan and Karen had had built such a lot up there yeah I think obviously the club has got a heritage and and where it's come from will always be where it's come from and it's really important to incorporate that in in the culture of the club you know and that's any women's team you know every women's team in the country's got a story because it's never been straightforward and I've certainly come from a, a club that that has had all of that in the past and you know there's always that that you have to take into account and so the big thing for me is you've got to acknowledge where you've come from and the work that that Karen and Juan had done was really important yeah. and now it's the next stage of that really and and so I think it's important for me and for the players to make sure that we do them justice by moving the team forward onto the next level and taking it to the next step and making Tottenham more competitive. It's been a really tough couple of weeks in the women's game there's been quite a lot of um, you know, backlash really aimed at clubs and at players because of holidays to Dubai, positive tests, games being postponed. You've been caught up in that, um, of course, yourself with your game postponed too. Um, how does the game move on? How do we learn from what's happened over the last 10 days? I just think for me, you know, there's just so many things going on in the country at the moment that we have to make sure that we keep everything in perspective and we control the things that we can control. And ultimately, you know, we've got a responsibility to the game. We've got a responsibility to the league. And, you know, we've got to make sure that we're doing everything that we possibly can here at Tottenham to, to make sure that we are in a position to fulfil our fixtures and to obviously put in a good performance, continues to raise the profile of the game. And I think that that side of it is just about each individual club be able to manage that, you know. Um, we're very fortunate that we're actually coming into work on a day-to-day -day basis and being able to keep playing and to, to do the thing that we love, you know, and a lot of people aren't in such a privileged position as what we are. So I think when you when you take those things into account, it makes you want to sort of look after those bits a little bit better as well, because as what happened, you know, it could stop at any time and, and nobody wants that, you know. So ultimately, we keep doing the bits that we need to to remain professional, look after ourselves and the health and safety of everybody and hopefully keep giving the fans something to look forward to. I've got Jen O'Neill from She Kicks and Katie Wyatt from The Athletic uh, with me as well, Rahan. So let's uh, let's head over okay. to Jen if you've got a question, Jen. 
I was just wondering, Leanne, how important it was to secure the signings of uh, Alana Kennedy and Shalina Zadorsky sort of long term, and also how exciting it is to have English talent like Jess Naz fit and available again. Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, both those players, Alana and Shalina, are incredibly experienced internationals, and they've they've experienced different cultures, different leagues, and what they bring to the, ta- the table is really important. Um, we we managed to obviously create the environments where we're drawing on that experience, and and I think that's really valuable. And and they've got a part to play in how they put that across, so that we can keep moving the team forward. You know, it's good to have those different experiences. Um, and they obviously, you know, play a lot of minutes for us and, and are giving us different qualities in their preferred positions, obviously, um, that that make us be more competitive, quite frankly. So, so yeah, absolutely delighted that they've signed till, you know, till the end of the season. Um, and, and where Jess is concerned, you know, I've worked with Jess quite a lot over the years um, in a, an international capacity and getting her back on the pitch is really important to the team, to her. She's been diligent with her rehab and, you know, it's been a progressive rehab that's obviously trying to put her in the best position uh, to move forward and and not have any issues. So now that she's getting to a point where she's increasing minutes week on week, you know, we'll be investing the time to get her back to that, that, you know, the winning ways and what she was flying with before she she got her injury. Um, And this is a different dynamic and she brings something different to the table as well. So, So we're getting to a point where you know, obviously all those players back from injuries and we've got everybody on track where we now can start to really push and play our strongest 11 uh, based on the game that's in front of us. Have you got your Manager of the Month award yet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's coming my way. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's such a, such a great a great start. And it's finally from me, are you uh, looking over your shoulder and um, secretly cheering on Leicester to, to do the business in the championship? <laughs> of course, you know, like that's that's exactly what I meant when I said everybody comes from somewhere and, you know, there's um, it's important that, that all of what you've done in the past, like you've got a special relationship and attachment to them, haven't you, you know, and, and I think I'd always want them to do well. And um, I invested a lot of my early coaching years in the club to to sort of move it forward and to be in a position to be a WSL or championship team. So, um, uh, you know, I know the staff that still run the club and all of that. So, yeah, there's a there's a little soft spot there, you could say, Jen, you know, but remember where you Until come you from, play right? Them. Until we play, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rianne Skinner, it's been lovely to speak to you. Thanks for catching up with us and let's hope there'll be fewer postponements as the season goes on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks very much and let's hope so. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Deans Media and The Athletic. Okay, well, let's talk about the uh, Women's FA Cup now and uh, the news last week that the suspension of non-elite football and the knock-on effect that that's had on the Women's FA Cup second and third rounds means that those ties might have to be decided. It was suggested by a coin toss or the drawing of lots. That didn't go down particularly well. Uh, Jen, Katie, maybe you've got some alternatives rather than a coin toss. Do we go rock, paper, scissors, something like that instead? It seems like, yeah, you can understand the uproar at that suggestion. But I actually asked on social media if anybody did have alternatives and there aren't any. You know, I think it's, it really probably is the absolute last resort and nobody wants it to come to that. Um, and, and the other alternative is do you cancel the competition because is this going to be... This will always be the FA Women's, or the Women's FA Cup that was 
decided on a coin toss. This is like the, this is an anniversary year. This is this is a this is a big landmark. It's again, could they've started the competition sooner? No, because the last one ran into this season. Can they continue it into next season again and get dispensation from FIFA? Well, we have tournaments in the summer it's such a difficult thing to do and you can't test everybody that's not viable these are non-elite clubs you can't turn it into an elite competition it really is a bit of a mess okay so hard to know if there's any immediate solution to that fa cup conundrum we also had the news in the last week that joe potter the england of former reading player has announced her retirement after two decades in the women's game Uh, that'd be a great chance to catch up with joe and find out a little bit more about the decision Joe, welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. Great to have you on the show. It's great to be speaking to you guys. Joe, you're a bit of a legend in the game to Lindsay and I because we've seen a lot of you in action and I think probably some of the newer women's football fans might not be aware of the massive legacy that you leave in the game after over two decades in it. So it would have been quite a tough decision to retire. Tell me a bit about the decision. Yeah, it was. It was It was really difficult, I think especially after being in the game for so long and you know it's all you you've ever known and and since being 14 I've played senior football so for me to actually come to the the agreement with myself that I had to retire was tough and and I knew that it was going to take it going to be a point where I had to do it so I, I kind of had to talk myself around to it for a couple of years and and knew that it was always going to be tough but I had to put myself in the best possible position to be able to actually retire and, and retire in a place that I was happy with. Has it come about because of age, injury, or is it just literally that you feel like now is a good time to kind of move on to the next stage? Yeah, well, it was it was kind of a combination of all three of those, actually. Um, I never wanted to be kind of clinging on and playing football and for as long as I could and, and kind of playing when, you know, there's other players that are potentially playing better I never wanted to be a player that was just playing because of what I've done previously um and I, I never thought I did that anyway and and the the point for me was I got injured um in the semi-final of the FA Cup against West Ham and it was a pretty horrific injury actually I had a um orbital floor fracture of my right eye socket so Ouch. I had um pretty serious surgery yeah pretty serious surgery on my eye um and it, at that moment in time, I still had another year left on my contract. And at, at that moment, I could have easily retired after that, after coming back from it, because I was just a little bit like, oh, I'm 34 now. Um, you know, this is could be a, a bit of a pretty serious injury. I had a lot of problems with my eyesight and my actual eye, not not so much the the fracture, but my actual, the repercussions of my eye were, were pretty severe. Um, so, you know, it took me a long time to talk myself around to actually coming back and playing for my last year of, of my contract at Reading. And I did that, managed to have a really good pre-season, got my head around it, probably got myself into the fittest shape I'd ever been in. And then second game into the season, we're playing Man City. And the day before the game, I near enough torn my MCL. Um, so I was out for a good three months with that as well. Managed to, again, get my head around it, work hard, come back. Um, I think a couple of games back in and I did my syndemosis in my right ankle, which was another pretty serious injury so I was just like I can't keep doing this I didn't want my next injury to be a big ACL where it was going to affect me later in life and you know I knew I was coming to the end of my career anyway because I didn't want to extend my contract I wanted to make sure that I wanted to play for my last year and play well and then COVID happened and 
and it just kind of made my last season really rubbish to be honest I couldn't really go out on the way I wanted to go out but after those three three really big serious injuries I was like I can't really do this not at my age not I, can't, I didn't have the mental capacity I yeah. don't think to try and do another pre-season after another serious injury and, and try and work my way back into it so I'd kind of made myself made that decision for myself for my mental state as well that you know now's the right time and I'm, I'm happy with that yeah when we talk about um levels of expectation now and younger players and and maybe that because of you know increased wages because of professionalism they do live in a bubble and that's been sort of partly suggested why some of those players thought it might be a good idea to go to Dubai to go away for the Christmas break and that might not be what 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 you or I would do but it was sanctioned by the clubs involved um, and they decided to go what's your take on it Jilly Flahert has been really outspoken about it and said players should apologize and that this is an indication of where perhaps the game some of the players within the game might be disconnected from real life what's your take on it I think it's really difficult for the players because you know with pre-seasons and with off-seasons you don't really have much time to get away so I can empathize with that and any opportunity you would get in a normal scenario, you would shoot off. Um, for the past six years, I don't know when it was um, a summer league, I, that was my time when I went away over Christmas, just before Christmas. But obviously, with the pandemic and everything that's happening and people's lives are in danger and changing things, it makes things very, very different. Um, but for me, I think, I think the clubs should be held a little bit more responsible if they're the ones that gave the players licence to go. Um, yes, ultimately the players have to make that decision at the end of the day and and have to get on a plane and go themselves. But I think once they've asked for permission from clubs and a club say, yes, you can go, I'm sure that in a normal working life that when you ask permission from your boss and your boss says, yes, you can go, that's, that's what you do do. And I'm not take, saying that there's no responsibility held from the players because ultimately it is down to them and they have to make the choice. For me, I think looking at a wider picture, the clubs should be have more responsibility for this. They should have been saying, no, at this time, we advise you not to go. Yes, you can go, but we advise you not to go. And I'm sure the decisions would have been made slightly different. I want to talk a, a bit about highlights of your career as well. Um, I think having watched you a fair few times, I always go back to the World Cup in 2015 just because I do, because it's this star-spangled uh, affair yeah I do too <laughs> would that be the main highlight for you as well and if it is tell us tell us a bit about why yeah absolutely you know um to even manage to go to a world cup when I was like 29 30 was just something that I never thought that I was ever going to be able to achieve after being out of the setup for so long and to even be there was just a, a huge honor for me and to manage to actually be in a in a world cup and experience everything and and be away with your teammates for six seven eight weeks including the the pre-camp was was huge and and you know that that what it comes down to it was that that last game that the Germany game where I think no matter what went on before that and the the whole build-up and the games that were absolutely unbelievable you always re will remember the end result in that game and and for me to to play in that game was was just huge and obviously something that I'll never ever forget and what about what's next I 
I hear that you're you're thinking about coaching possibly um tell us what else you think you might be getting up to now yeah well I've I've always coached I've always made sure that I put myself in a position that if I wanted to coach and manage at the end of my career then that's what I'd want to do and that's what I've always done so from the age of 17 18 I've coached so for near enough 20 years I've been coaching alongside playing football and that was my job for a long time I worked for the FA for nine years coaching and then I've worked centre of excellences and and academies I've made sure that I've done college football I've done senior football so I've made sure that I've got all my experience whilst playing because I never wanted to stop playing football and then go oh gosh I really need to get some experience now and it's going to take me another three four five years to get the experience that I want to get to the job that I want so I made sure that I've coached all levels um done everything that I've wanted to do and worked hard alongside playing not only part-time but professionally as well didn't have to coach but I wanted to um which was tough sometimes um but you know I've, I've made sure that put myself in a position that I can be a little bit picky with the job that I want to do and and make sure that I'm not going in underqualified and just going off my playing days and going like Joe Potter she'll be okay she could play so I wanted to make sure that you know I've got a wealth of experience to to put on my CV and go yeah there you go I'm not just a player I'm a, I'm a coach as well so this is the offside rule WSL edition part of the athletic podcast network Thanks very much to Joe Potter there for her time. Really nice to catch up with her. OK, ladies, uh, we're going to go through a few of the other news lines that have been floating around uh, women's football for the last week, 10 days or so. Plenty to catch up on. Uh, let's first of all go to the news that Phil Neville is imminently set to be announced as uh, the head coach of new MLS side Inter Miami, co-owned by his old teammate David Beckham, of course. So this would uh, mean that there's a vacancy again to lead Team GB at the Olympic Games and that the England team, you know, again, an important year as we've spoken to Rianne about have no leadership yeah I mean it's a very tricky situation um I mean I, you can understand why Neville has gone for this job in the sense of there's no guaranteed job after the team GB um role ends so what would he be doing then he'd just sort of be unemployed and, and twiddling his thumbs so I can understand why he sort of preempted that and jumped at this opportunity but it just feels very unfortunate that England are sort of going to be the collateral almost for that decision that yes it's very good for him getting a great job and you can't expect him to be all altruistic and benevolent about it but it's just interesting of who's going to lead England now going into this um, I mean who's going to take over Team GB how much thinking have they been doing about it who's going to be working with those players England probably you imagine very unlikely to do anything internationally just given the Covid situation even if they were trying to plan their own tournaments and everything but who's going to be working with those players on an international level and in, and in that different environment so it's just very unfortunate that it's left so many questions marks for England and Team GB and what will be a pretty big year for them. Yeah Jen we're expected to hear the uh, sort of announcement on that any moment is there someone that you'd immediately think about parachuting in to look after the oh. side? Well we know Molly's always been there in the past but we She's retired, as it were. Maybe you could convince her to maybe come back for a little bit, just for a <laughs> yeah. few months. It's constructive. Um, obviously, they have people in-house as well who can do who that. Who could do that. Would you put someone like Matt Beard in there at all? Well, there's another job that's just come up and that 
I think people are trying to put him, put him in that. into so that this, position as well. So, yeah. This is the news that Vicky Jepsen has parted ways with Liverpool by mutual consent. She's been at the club for 12 years, at the side of currently third in the championship. Um, Katie, what about you on this one? Yeah, I think that the lack of um, support that Liverpool, and it's well documented here and elsewhere, that have given to their women's team in all different kinds of ways is real, really, really sad when you look at Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City and what they could be doing and what they could be achieving. Um, I think the Championship is a very, very difficult league in the sense of if they just thought they were going to walk it in because they were a relegated WSL team in a league where Leicester investing heavily, Sheffield United and Durham have always been very, very strong in recent seasons, was very, very misguided assumption if that's the mindset that they came in with. So I just think it's a real shame when you look at how Manchester United did so well in that league as a full-time team that was so much more funded and supported than the other part-time clubs in the year that they got promoted. You look at Liverpool and you think, well, they should be doing that and they should be mm. up there with the Chelsea's and the Arsenal's and the Manchester City's. So it's just a really sad thing that they never wanted to do that. Yeah, a couple of other bits of news to throw in. West Ham United have appointed Oli Harder as their new manager. That happened just before Christmas, but of course I don't think you've heard from us since then. Uh, New Zealand-born, former head of football development and uh, first-team coach at Klepp, uh, assistant manager um, at a, Norwegian's, uh, a Norwegian men's side in the second division, Sanders Ulf. I've probably pronounced all of that wrong, but there we go. So a new face to replace Matt Beard at West Ham. Uh, England forward Rachel Daly, uh, teenage midfielder Ruby Grant have both ended their short-term deals uh, with West Ham by the way Daly returning to Houston Dash in February as we thought she might do she scored five goals in 12 games whilst on loan at the club and this coming through from the Athletics Meg Linehan um, Abby Dalkemper set to join Man City uh, Katie so we hear to join Sam Lewis and Rose Lavelle and she's a central defender um, isn't she so you've got that got that question where's she going to fit in yeah, it's a strange one. I mean, I can't help but feel very sorry for Gemma Bonner just for how she sort of has always felt a little bit overlooked in for the England setup, and you would presume going on from that the Team GB environment. But uh, with this, I think it's a little bit strange in that regard. Of we've seen her slip down below the pecking order and figure behind Alex Greenwood at the start of the season, although she's sort of come back and made that centre-half role her own again as well. So mm. I wonder what the sort of thinking is in relation to her because I think she is slightly undervalued and I wonder if this, for a lot of people, maybe adds to that sentiment. Del Kemper is no doubt about it. It would be a huge asset to the team. She's a fantastic player. It's been great for them in the national setup as well. Um, good news for the league, Jen. Just a, a quick one um, from you on the fact that it's being uh, talked about in terms of a two-and-a-half-year contract, which is, of course... Uh, much more of a significant commitment than either Mewis or Lavelle. Yeah, they can see that this is sort of long-term planning, as it were, and that's what Manchester City like to, to talk about in, in those terms. But yeah, Steph Horton, Gemma Bonner, Ethan Mannion, Esme Morgan can play centre-back and Alex Greenwood. Maybe it is planning in a way that, you know, Mewis has taken over from Jill Scott a little bit in terms of time. Maybe Steph Horton steps back or maybe one of those players moves on. It's certainly strength in depth. Mm, it certainly is. A quick note as well on fixtures this week. Uh, in terms of the Conti Cup quarterfinals, uh, the only game standing now is Bristol City, Aston Villa. That's the only game remaining um, after more postponements. We've got fixtures this weekend, of course. Um, I'm going to just swerve those slightly, ladies, because I think it's fair to say that we don't definitely know what's going to go ahead. Ever. <laughs> Ever. 
<laughs> ever, ever again. Thank you, Jen. Um, so, yeah, fixtures taking place this Sunday. If they do go ahead, a uh, couple to pick out. Chelsea versus Manchester United. Uh, definitely one to watch there in terms of the tussle at the top. Uh, West Ham plays Spurs in a London derby. Um, City will play Villa. Uh, that's the earlier kickoff. So, yeah, hard to say uh, what we're looking at for those fixtures at the moment. Um, one thing I do know for sure is that our time has come to an end, ladies. That is the only certain thing I can say at the moment. Don't forget in the gap between podcasts, you can check us out on socials at Offside Rule Pod. Always plenty of women's news there. Uh, the same on Instagram as well and our brilliant website, offsiderulepodcast.com. Uh, we have a regular WSL Five Things up there. Also, Rich Lavity's regular column on women's football. Always some interesting opinions there from Rich and plenty more besides. So be sure to check it out. Um, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us, Jen O'Neill and Katie Wyatt. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week with hopefully a few more than just the one game to talk about. Happy listening. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.